Hey everyone, Jay here. I just wanted to say that we've got some really cool artwork for this episode, so you're going to want to click through to the show notes to check out the full version of the image, which we'll be showing in your podcatcher right now. Our thanks go out to Yuri Keynes on Twitter for working with us to create this piece of art. Anyway, on with the show. Guess who's back? Back again. The bee's back. Tell a friend. Tell a bee. Tell, tell a bee. <laughs> tell the police. So on that uh, subject, I guess, B, I was wondering, have you got anything that you would like to put into the, the cupboard of shame? You don't have to put something in, but I'm just thinking if there is anything, you're quite welcome. This is a safe space to talk about a game, maybe because obviously part of your career has been sort of reviewing them and talking about the games that are coming out. I thought maybe maybe there's something that you thought that you maybe went into going, this is going to be terrible because the series is terrible or because the target audience is obviously not me or maybe I can, I'm can i looking at it, I know this is going to be terrible and then you sit down and you play it and there's loads of fun or maybe you've been forced to play something like Extreme Beach Volleyball when Squidge needed help with the poker bit. You know, what, what is, is there anything to put into the Cupboard of Shame? Um, you've got to say it like you're at an AA meeting. Well. <laughs> Hi, my name's The Bee and uh, I once purchased that kind of thing. No, well, you <laughs> don't. It'd be pretty cool if you did. Everyone goes, <gasps> My name's B. Hello, B. I would like to introduce into the cupboard of shame what might be a controversial choice in a way, but I can entirely justify my uh, thought process here. What more than Rambo the video game? Slightly, yeah. It's, it's definitely <laughs> far more controversial than, than that being included. So I'm actually going to include and uh, cheating a little bit by saying the whole series, even though like m- most of my thoughts I'm going to process here from the before the, I ever played the first one. Uh, the Phoenix Wright games. Objection! So, the Phoenix Wright games are bloody, bloody brilliant. Let's put it out there. Phoenix Wright or Ace Attorney? Because the Phoenix Wright ones are the Fair. Ace Attorney series with Phoenix Wright. For whereas Apollo the Justice. Ace Attorney games are the whole series. I mean, the, the, the whole, let's go to the whole series. Okay. Attorney, the whole series. Because what, what we're talking about here, the tact that I'm taking for this entry is games that I thought would have not been very good before I played them. Ah, so more of an honourable mention. Exactly. So it's more of the case of, in in this instance, that you wouldn't think a game about being a lawyer would make for an incredibly fun, interesting and comedic game. Hmm. And yet, the Phoenix Wright trilogy and the entire Satana series is a delight from beginning to end. Like, it tells a story of murder, and you've got this whole ongoing thread of Phoenix and his assistant and their struggles, and Phoenix uh, attempts to try and become like the best attorney in the land. And yet, it's just this really light hearted, fun, it has a brilliant, brilliant localization in that it just tells its story really well, entertaining throughout. The comedy is spot on. Um, and it's not something that you would have thought from. A game, like I said, that's ostensibly a lawyer, inverted commas, simulator. No, no, no way accurate in the simulator or anything. Mm. But um, just how it manages to make that sort of hunting for clues, putting, pressing these arguments, making that whole 
thing into um into this tangible game mechanic mm. that um is in just in, entirely fun to play all the way through you know it's it's really good trying to look at the inconsistencies of people's uh words and stuff and phrases and what they mean and and and, and in terms of like than people trying to lie to you, and it's it's a it's it's weird to think of it now because it's such a well loved series, but we're talking like back in two thousand and four, two thousand two, before the series had ever like come out properly, and it was like first being announced. Is what that that thinking of is this going to be any good? Is this? I mean, it's a is this just another visual it's novel? A lawyer, or, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like a what's this game about a lawyer? And mm. at the time, you know, there was no way that someone would turn around and tell you that Phoenix Wright would become one of Capcom's greatest franchises, frankly, the mm-hmm. franchise. And a really, really well-made movie by Takeshi Miike as well. I've heard so many good things about the movie. I haven't it seen it myself. It is so good. It, it, it's like, so kind of spoilerific, but it's not. It is essentially... I don't want to say shot for shot remake, but it is essentially the first Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney game as released in the UK. That entire story, but almost perfectly. So it captures like the aesthetic of the game. So like when all of the characters are designed specifically to look just like they are in the game and you get the objection flashing on the screen and it is so good. It is perfect. And especially from like Takeshi Mika, his, his, his movies are, are really quite out there and violent and horrible and like but this is just it's perfect if you like video game movies are so difficult to pull off but this is a perfect recreation of the video game as a movie and that's not often that that happens in terms of like a lot of movies like to go their own route don't they they don't Mm -hmm. like to retell the stories of the game because i mean just recently the uncharted director said that he has no interest in exactly retelling the games because the games did it so well so he has no interest in retelling that story in a movie and in fact he'd just rather tell a different story with the same characters Mm. in their own universe so he's not constrained by what Mm -hmm. happened in the games so that's interesting that the the japanese movie like follows it beat for beat almost in, mm. in that sense um, sure. yeah they, they add a few things here and there but it is essentially just beat for beat that first game i think oh god it's been so long since i saw it i think they took out the in the in the first one that was released over here so like the first phoenix Wright game that was released over here was kind of a mishmash of a few of the game boy advance titles that were released in japan but the first one that was released over here on the nintendo ds was it had the 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 whole bit where his boss gets killed and all that kind of... I think they kind of scrub over that really quick. I honestly can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it is... Like, you talking it, about the game? Uh, no, the movie. All right. in, in the movie. And they, they even have the talking parrot that gives testimony as well. It's really... It is perfect. As a video game movie, it is perfect. Like You sit there and watch it and you're like, yeah, this is the video game. It's brilliant. Which probably speaks volumes to how strong the story is in that first game. Definitely. Already, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Not that I wouldn't like to see the other later Ace Attorney games get HD remasters, but the recent HD remaster of the Phoenix Wright trilogy, the original trilogy, those first three games, that is such a good story and such a good like tale told across those three games, especially the first game, but it's it manages to maintain that throughout that first trilogy. It's like if that was even if that was a I'd say a book is a bit hard to is a bit hard to say because of um just the, the way it would translate. But just that story in itself became such a good, strong part of the game that it it, it goes through the entire thing. And like I say, 
for, for something that's about lawyers that you would think is going to be quite dry and everything else. And it just isn't, you know, it's this wonderful, quite heart-touching story. And told in a very light-hearted manner, despite the fact that this 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 uh, this story has murders and you know people dying, and I say slight spoilers. It's literally the first after the first mission. You know, Phoenix's boss dies in the first case. You know, it's is touches on some quite strong stuff, and yet manages to be this really feel-good story. And the mm. games are just a wonderful um, embodiment of that, basically. I think you're right there, B. I think you've touched on something that's really good. That two things that you touched on that make that whole experience of playing the game so good. That's the the original story in Japanese. Obviously, must have been to it had to be that good for it to be made. First off, and then, like you said, the localization teams that worked on it that translated the game, the story, the setting, and all of the references into British English in some places, some some parts of the game, American English in some parts of the game. There are parts of the game you can sort of connect with because even though it's a Japanese story written by Japanese people about their vision, I guess, of a you know, that sort of Hollywood lawyer sort of story, there will be parts in the in the Japanese thing that that are relevant to Japanese people, the jokes, the the references, all that kind of stuff. And then they were translated and localized into American English for the American audience and then British English for the British audience and then presumably French, German, Spanish for French, German, mm. Spanish people. Just the, the amount of effort that's gone into this as as a translation and localization compared to what I put into the cupboard of shame last time, which is Final Fantasy Thirteen, for its seemingly lack of translation and localization. You now possesses. Yeah, that's exactly it. When you first start the, I'll breeze over it really quickly. First start Final Fantasy Thirteen, unpatched zero day, the very first the initial version with no uh, DLC attached, no patches, and anything. Soon, uh, yeah, the vanilla version of the game. As soon as you start, you start playing get the intro sequence, and then. Uh, box pops up and it's supposed to tell you how to play the game but it says you now possesses and i'm like i can't i can't deal with this you've had a full team of english people native english speakers writing this game and helping to localize and translate it and you failed on the third word versus phoenix right which or ace attorney or whatever which has such a strong translation localization team and like i said the movie's really good just it's just perfect and I, I really would recommend that anyone who's into sort of, I wouldn't really say it was the hidden object games, but puzzle games, certainly. Mm. If you're into those kinds of games and you haven't tried the Ace Attorney ones, definitely. Which I guess is why you're putting it in the cover of the show. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> as, as an honorable mention, you didn't yeah. think you'd enjoy it, but you did. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I like it. So one of the things that I thought we could talk about in this episode... Now we're on to the reason why the bee's here. What? Second episode in. I thought maybe we could have a quick chat about light gun games. Because, you know, these are games that, of our generation at the very least, these these were the sort of get people around and have a, have a uh, you know, bit of a laugh and put someone on point blank, for instance. With the insane challenge that you won. Yeah, the Colin insane challenge that. that I had. That was, that was amazing. Colin Hacks on it. Well, you can say that, but I was pretty bloody good at it. So the the insane challenge was we were playing point blank around at a relative's house on the PlayStation with the NG con guns, yeah. and I was doing really well at it. And there's a level where they have it was a scorpion gun. It wasn't NG. Con. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, and there's a level where they have like a, a leaf 
that's floating yeah, down, you have to yeah, shoot it, right? One bullet, yeah. Yeah, you've got one shot to do it, like you say, and Ooh. if you don't hit the hit the leaf, game over, right? And I did it, and then I did it again, and then I did it again, and then somebody had said, oh yeah, I bet you can't do it standing on one leg with one arm behind your back and one eye closed, and I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty nice. sure it was beginner's luck, if I'm honest. Well, that was the same time that when we were there, um, they got an uh, original Xbox, but they didn't have any peripherals with it. But it was essentially it was a, a real shooting light game. It was a light gun game. It was uh, House of the Dead 3. And uh, someone said, oh, I'm really good at this. And then him, me, pointing, said, oh, yeah. So Squidge is good at that. So they went, oh, yeah, I bet you can't do better than me. So every single stage, whatever they got, I was a grade above. To a point where I think it was the third boss, and it was you know the mole boss that goes along along the cage, yeah. some sort of mole, and they were player one, I was player two, and they went, oh yeah, got an A rank, and then mine came home and said S rank, and he went, I'm not playing no more. Yep, pipped him at every single post. What mm-hmm. they didn't know was I played it a lot, so I know precisely where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I played it a lot, and he was still surprised, and I was just kicking yeah. the crap out of him. Never challenged me on House of the Dead. Not a good idea. Life pro tip. Yeah. Um, so what <laughs> I was generally speaking. Yes. So what I was thinking about is maybe we could talk about some of our favourite light gun games, but before that, maybe a little bit, not necessarily a history lesson, but just like some interesting facts about light gun games um, and where we came from. Yeah, and I've done a little bit of research, essentially on the train over. Um, Mm. So it's about 20 minutes of research. So it's not, I'm not going to sit here and lecture you all, because that would be boring. But I thought, bring up some interesting facts from light gun game history. So, you know, we all know Duck Hunt on the, on the NES. Um, I always make a point of saying it that slowly with the glossal stop in between it. If you don't, <laughs> you come out with something that sounds really rude. But yeah, so Duck... So you don't want to search for on Google. Indeed. So Duck Hunt was a amazing game on the NES. It's a pack-in game for the NES um, outside of uh, Japan. It was on the same cartridge as Super Mario Brothers, which was loads of fun. Yeah, um, a separate cartridge as well. Yeah, you could get a separate cartridge because it was available as a separate game in Japan. Uh, but it wasn't the first light gun game. It wasn't the first light gun game for the NES. The first light gun game, I've got it written down here in my notes, was, uh, I forgot the name of it already. It was... Because <laughs> <laughs> you literally referred to looking at your notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I looked at my notes. Well, that's what they're there for, right? Yep. Right? You don't give a lecture without notes, so that's fine. Um, but no, um, You haven't lived. Yes, indeed. So the first light gun game came out in the 30s, right? Hmm. Uh, which is which is amazing. So for the younger listeners, if there are any, light guns are essentially a pistol-shaped peripheral that you would play a game with on your TV through a console. Um, you would literally just point and shoot the bad guys. There's some electronics magic that goes on behind the scenes, which I'll lightly touch on a little bit, but not a huge amount, about how it works and why it doesn't work with modern TVs. Hmm. Uh, but essentially, yeah, the first game was in 1936, and it was called Ray of Light. And... Essentially, from the description of it, it turned out to be like a prototype for duck hunt. You'd have a single duck that would fly up and it had something in its feet. You shoot it and it drops the thing and you get the points. You miss the duck, you don't get the thing, you don't get the points. But the, the first arcade game by Sega that was a light gun game was called Periscope, released in 1966. And hopefully you can tell from the title, it was a submarine game. So you had to use the periscope and point at the boat or whatever and push the button and fire the thing. So it's kind of like an on-rail shoot within that one. Yeah, kind of, yeah. 
But that was a joint venture by Sega and a company called Nakamura Manufacturing Company, which we'll come back to in a minute. It does sound familiar, kind of. Not in that context, though. The Japanese version, as made by Nakamura Manufacturing Company, was in 1956. So, a little bit of history for people who don't know much about Sega. Sega initially didn't start in the gaming industry as a video game producer. It was an American company, and they were they essentially created stuff to be sold to the GIs to keep them entertained in Japan, in post-war Japan. So, pinball machines, that kind of thing. Um, Sega brought Periscope over to the US as built by the Nakamura Manufacturing Company. Nakamura Manufacturing Company shortened its name to Namco. So now we know where Namco comes from. Interesting side note, uh, Periscope cost 29 cents to have a go. 25 cents, sorry, to have a go. So that was pretty cheap. 25 cents. A quarter. Yeah? Yeah, quarter. Right? I got it wrong the first time. I'm going to leave that in because I'm an idiot. Um, Thinking, how do you get 29 cents? Exactly. That's awkward. (laughs) Yeah, so a quarter. You only accepted counterfeit coins. Mm. I'm not smart enough or cognizant enough to have translated that into modern day money, but it'll be quite a lot more. Then in 1969, Sega released Missile, which used, and this was an interesting one, so the previous games were electromechanical. So you had some moving things that were on like gears and stuff and you had to aim and shoot right missile used essentially celluloid film there would be a film that is running on a screen that you're aiming at and that's how it would put the games in uh, put the enemies in and that's how you shot them uh the first light gun game to use what we kind of used in the 90s what we're used to for light gun games was killer shark in 1972 again another sega game and that used a uh, screen projection which is what the light gun games that you play at the arcade used to use they don't use it now um, and then really quick the last one i'm going to bring up is 1974 nintendo released a game called wild gunman which was then ported to the nes and released before duck hunt and that was a game invented by gunpei yokoi who if you've ever heard that name before you've probably heard it uh, connected to the game boy and the virtual boy because he invented both so there you go. And yeah, uh, it was a, as far as my research can tell me, it was a release title for the NES when it first came out. So there you go. A little bit of backstory into Legend Games. And then obviously popular titles, Time Crisis. Action! Loads of fun. The Point Blank series. House of the Dead. The House of the Dead. Uh, Virtual Cop. Virtual Cop 2. There was even a few Resident Evil games. Uh, released mm. as Lego games. They were the Umbrella Chronicles ones, which were loads of fun. Um, it's questionable continuity. But yeah, like I say, the most famous one for people of our generation, I guess, is Duck Hunt or Time Crisis, that kind of thing. So, in the grand scheme of video games, do you guys have any favourite light gun games? House of the Dead, but on the Sega Sam. Yeah, okay. Nice. Because I, you couldn't use the Namco official gun on it, so you had to get like a third party one. Mm-hmm. And I had one that looked like a small compact handgun it was called the scorpion and you could never calibrate it properly so i'd be looking away from the screen aiming halfway across the room shooting and flailing wildly to try to actually shoot stuff on a screen that i'm looking at 90 degrees to my right and that's how i learned to play nice so when i actually had a screen to shoot at, it was really weird because <laughs> i was just reloading constantly yeah and you, you saw just how competent i am when i went, when I went to the arcade club yeah and the, and the tricks you really that I are used. Very good at House of the Dead games on the arcade machines. <laughs> so one thing I'll point out real quick there. So you talked about calibrating the gun. 
I'm not going to talk about the technology. I've decided I'm not going to talk about the technology and why it doesn't work with LCD screens. But essentially, um, before you could play the games, you sometimes had to calibrate the gun based on how far away from the TV you were. It's, it's similar to how with Guitar Hero, you can calibrate it by going to a special menu and playing some notes. Uh, because for these games, for Has the Dead specifically, you have to shoot the enemies on screen, then point off screen mm. and shoot to reload. But obviously, if the gun doesn't know where the screen is, pointing off screen isn't going to work. Yeah, your aim just sort of drifted. Yeah. Like Joy-Con yeah. drifted across yeah. to the left. And then you end up shooting. You're shooting the cat at the other end of the room to try and shoot zombies Precisely. on the right hand. I don't know. I don't know where that went. Anyway. But yeah, that's that's um, possibly my favourite because big Saturn fan. Love it. And I had both virtual cops on there, but it was just something about shooting zombies. don't know what it is. Especially ones that actively attack you. And not just try and bite you all the time, trap you in a corner. Have axes and try and throw stuff and That's throw awesome. barrels and, and you get to shoot monkeys on it. Don't find a shooting monkeys, obviously. Yes, um, you've said that in the past. Um, you do uh, like shooting, sh- a good shooting and killing monkeys on various games, not in real life. Let's point that out. But yeah, that's possibly my absolute favourite. And even when I wasn't using a light gun, I even like playing House of the Dead with like a pad. Mm-hmm. I just, I've just always enjoyed playing um, on rails shooter games on a pad because if you know where it is, you can zip to it real fast. Yeah, so like uh, that's the other thing that I want to point out is that some of the light gun games, especially like you said, switch the on rails ones, so Time Crisis, House of the Dead, that kind of thing. Action! Yeah, they allowed you to play using a controller if you didn't have the gun, which was useful if you didn't, a, couldn't afford the gun or only had one gun you had some friends over. But yeah, those, those were pretty good because like you said, you'd use the D-pad to move a uh, cursor around on the screen and you shot with that so you learn where enemy placements were pretty fast mm-hmm. yeah mm. what about you B? have you got any so favorites? I've got three I think I'd like to touch on mm-hmm. uh, yeah. not, not to go to too much detail on, on, on any of them though but I think like my favourite certainly home console one and have a very soft spot for just generally would be the point blank series um, I know we've already touched on that a little bit but um, I just like the whole like crazy challenges and it was and the bright pink and blue uh, light guns. Mm. It's pink, but, but it's pink. Brilliant, and the console releases were pretty solid, really. You know, they were really good fun and a bit wacky, and I'm 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 into that sort of uh, wacky aesthetic. I think my favourite in the arcades, and it's a bit of a because of the novelty of it reasons, was Police Twenty Four Seven by Konami. Oh, the you move your own body. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Love that game. And you had to move the uh, conceit was is that instead of having a pedal to hide and duck and everything, it could actually it was like an early version of Connect, which is kind of funny that in, in terms of how how Connect didn't really take off. But it could it could scan your body and it could detect where you were like leaning and aiming, and you had to physically duck and physically lean out the way to, of the, of the bullets to try and play it. And I just thought that was like at the time was absolutely blown away by the technology, and I just thought that was a really good way of like getting yourself involved in in the action by fully physically moving your body. And it's a bit of a shame that. It never really, I could say, well, like how Connect uh, didn't take off and everything like that. But it was at the time, you know, this was years before Connect or even Wii or anything like that. It was it was so far ahead of its time. And whenever I'd see one in an arcade, I'd be like, ooh, and I really enjoyed playing it, even though I wasn't particularly very good at them. Just because, killed your thighs, didn't it? Cause yeah, you were squatting oh, yeah, most of the time. Absolutely, it would oh. destroy you in terms of uh, go go with the body so they can drag you away from it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, one last thing I'd, one I'd like to touch on was one I saw while I was on holiday this uh, most recently in Wales, um, and it's Luigi's Mansion. And I didn't think that was a game that you could that get a light so gun version. Good. Yeah, but the, it is the light gun version really is good. So good. 
We had a chance to play that at the arcade club in Leeds, but people were on it constantly, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. it's so cool because like you have the vacuum cleaner in your hand, the thing, and it's you've got one button does the flashlight, and you've got uh, just like the the, the the main game, you've got a flashlight uh, ghost before you can start uh, sucking them into the into the pods of ghost. And then another, and then the triggers like then that activate and the uh, I just love the little like force feedback you get on that. Whereas, yeah, as yeah. as as the thing is pulling the way it really makes you feel like physically involved in the game. And I think that's one of the best things about light gun games is that sort of physical involvement, immersion, in the action, yeah, in yeah that, that's imagine. going on around you. And even though I'm not a huge proponent of VR things and that because of the amount of expense needed, it's really good fun. I think the the Luigi's Mansion game in terms of um, I don't know it's not VR but you know what I mean no, in terms no. of thing but it's just it's a re- I think it's a really cool experience and and something a bit different as well because like I say similar to Point Blank I like that sort of a bit wacky a bit crazy and doing something not quite as realistic necessarily as gun- like there's some really interesting things you can do with light gun games and like I say I think it's a shame that the Connect never really got the chance to do that because it was such a commercial oh what, what was the name of that game where you played as a, a puppet on it Gunslinger. Gunslinger. Yeah, Gunslinger. Yeah, Gunslinger. You played as a puppet, and I couldn't stand there, so I sat on a stool. Yeah. And you sort of you, you moved your hands to shoot two guns, and then, obviously, spoiler alert. But by the end of it, the the top part, he had a he had a, like a Deadpool, a list of people he wanted to kill. And the top part, he put the um, the piece of paper down, and it showed you you as you were standing on it. So he tried to attack you. Mm-hmm. And at the ending cutscene, he jumped out of a, um, a cinema screen, ran out of a cinema in real world, and ran down the street chasing after you. Nice. Really quite cool. Yeah. Really good game. Nice. Yeah. I was going to say, so you weren't you weren't a big fan of the uh, Silent Hill like gun game? <laughs> I Do you remember that? I, I, yeah, but. I, I remember that with Crystal Clarity. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I definitely remember the Silent Hill game, but I don't count it as a favourite because it just seemed a bit... I wouldn't even say generic as such, but just... Cause, because if you're talking, like, inverted commas, horror ones, House of the Dead 3, I think, is brilliant with the meaty shotgun, how mm. meaty the shotguns are in the You needed cabinet. strong arms for that. Oh, you yeah. did, but I get that, that having that heft to them... I guess, like, like I say, I like, I like these light gun games that try something a bit different. Mm. And that, like Ghost Squad. Yeah, and that, that was thing. That was alright, but I think, uh, I don't know if I really got along with the, with the sci-fi aspect of that. But, before I go too far on, on, on tangents, yeah. Sound Hill was good, but just, like you say, it's, it's a bit forgettable, you know what I mean? It just seemed a bit generic in terms of, like, I, I get, I get the appeal of it and that. But it just, yeah, it didn't, and especially good in a Silent Hill game. So, really so, sort of thing so casting your mind back, of. casting your mind back, Jay didn't know about this, but um, we were at Scarborough one time, and there was a Silent Hill cabinet. Mm-hmm. So I put the money in. He was stood on my right. I'm stood there getting ready for it. And it was, it was a rather sunny day, and the cabinet itself has a heater above it. Yeah. So he starts feeling ill. I'm going, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I said, all right, you, you go off then. But there was still life in the, in the second concert. So give it a, so there's me, Two player, yeah. Akimbo style. Dual <laughs> wielding Akimbo, I love it. Yeah, but the, it started and you, you're going through like Silent Hill and it all kicks off when, because it starts off on a boat, doesn't it? Yeah. It kicks off and you hear the boat do its like um, horn, whatever the hell it is. And then you go into the other world and you start shooting nurses and primitive and all the rest of it. And um, the one thing I remember with crystal clear clarity is when the boat goes, he turns me and was that you? <laughs> I'm, I'm almost certain that there's a. <laughs> A Resident Evil light gun game, not Umbrella Conquerors, an arcade Resident Evil light gun game that I've seen once but not played. But it looked Resident fairly similar. Oh yeah, I'm almost. I might be. I might be mistaken, but I'm almost certain I've seen one. But it looked very similar to the Silent Hill one, I do, and I don't think it was. Um, what's the word? 
because you got Umbrella Chronicles and then um, Darkside Chronicles. There's the the yeah. Wii U titles. Uh, so the Wii titles. Gun Survivor Two was an arcade game. There we go. Gun Survivor. Gun Survivor. What Resident Evil Code Veronica Gun Survivor? I played that. I remember the Survivor series, the Gun Survivor series of Resident Evil. That was. I uh, played the second one. That the, was the, a thing. The dungeon crawling was so much more fun than the main game because the main game you're trying to escape the main island, and if you left it too long, Nemesis would chase you. Yeah. It's funny as well. And it wasn't even a light gun game, it was a fixed angle game where you free moved. Well, the original Gun Survivor came out, and I think it was like. It was weird because in the UK they didn't release the light gun for it or something, or the official, like, even though. In in the UK you could use a light gun, the the American version you couldn't use a light gun. That was it, yeah. I remember using a light gun on it. It was a really weird thing, didn't it? In In the UK, so. it's, It's a really. Curious. It's a bad game, but it's a curious one. It's one that you should probably everyone should probably play, even though it's not particularly good, especially for Resident Evil. Put, put it this way: it was better than Dead Aim. Yeah, Dead yeah. Aim was just awful. There's a great bit in Resident Evil Survive, the very first one, where you play as an amnesiac basically, and there's a point later on in the but in you the don't game, remember it. Yeah, where you start and get yeah. where you get you get quite far and you start getting your memory back, and it's just the worst. Like Resident Evil had famously bad dialogue and famously bad writing. But it's the most, it is even worse than that when he starts remembering who he is. And he says it in a way that no human has ever said. And he goes, That's right. At the request of my friend, Leon S. Kennedy, I came here to investigate. Oh, yes. I remember. I remember everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, is, that, is that how you use your to your friends? By full name and initial in the middle? My friend, Leon S. Kennedy, Plug. I remember. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> just like holy heck was... we're part of the continuity plug <laughs> it's like, yeah it's so shoehorned to make you realise it's part of the canon It's re- we're really part of the canon believe in us please no, like, you're, oh, not. no you're not How dare such you. a bad such a a bad good game <laughs> it's it's one of those cult classics oh it really is it really so, is so, so awful it's awesome mm. so the the most interesting thing is that there was even a Resident Evil Pachinko game. Yes. That doesn't surprise me. Released only, obviously only in Japan, where they're crazy about Pachinko. So for the people who haven't played Pachinko, it's that balls and pins game where you drop a ball in and it bounces on the pins. And oh, goes it's down. the entire Metal Gear Solid series now, isn't it? <laughs> Castlevania, <laughs> Metal Gear, just yeah. anything Konami. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So that, that you drop a ball in, it bounces on the pins and falls in a, in a specific hole, I guess. And the Pachinko slot game, uh, shortened to Patchy Slot, was essentially... There's a screen in front of you and you're playing the game and it was a pachinko and slot machine it's kind of at the same time. Um, so it was a combination of the two. And whilst you're playing, it's pay- playing scenes from the, the GameCube remake of Resident Evil. So the remake, I guess? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Except that Jill's outfit was not her star's outfit. It was the Resident Evil 3 Nemesis outfit, mm-hmm. but in the same graphical style, which is really quite interesting. And it's essentially the story of the first game, but you have to win, I guess, by getting them with the the pachinko stuff, I guess. But yeah, so there's a, there's been a few Resident Evil arcade games, I guess. So are, the, are those some of your favourite ones then? Pretty there? much, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say that those three would be along my top ones. Okay, sure. cool. So it's interesting that of the favourite games mentioned so far, we haven't done mine yet, but the favourite games mentioned so far are essentially, apart from the Luigi's Mansion one, are all... Uh, the free moving ones, which are, there's two types of light gun games. The one where the gun, you can move it around in, in space 
I guess, and it's attached with a cable to the machine. And there's fixed ones. They're pos- position fixed. Position so, fixed. Yeah, just something like that. Um, which is your Luigi's Mansion type ones. And it's interesting that the majority of the favorite ones so far have been those sort of free moving ones. Um, some of my favorites are Alien 3 The Gun, uh-huh. which is a whole heap of fun. It's not the best graphics in the world, but that's because it was, I think, mid-90s when it came out. But it is a whole mess of fun. I remember us two when we used to go to see a film at Odeon around here in Cakeland. We used to play that because they had one of those. Uh, that was before, of course, the Odeon employees decided to pick all the keys off the keyboard and not replace them. So then they couldn't actually sell you the ticket for the movie. One of the many reasons why Odeon is, is in my opinion, not the best cinema. But there you go. That was way back in the day, though. Criminally avoid them. But yes, so uh, Alien 3, The Gun, definitely one of my favourites. I love, love, love the original House of the Dead. Lots of fun. Um, And Time Crisis. It gets really painful on your foot. So the difference with Time Crisis, obviously, you said before, Squidge, you roughly step by saying action. The character hides behind an object in the level and you press down on a pedal with your foot as if you're accelerating in a car to make them stand up and you're shooting and everything. When you run out of ammo, you've got to duck back down to reload or to get out the way of the enemy's firing. That's always loads of fun. Mix that up with the moment you get Police 24, which is also one of my favorites as well. Loads of fun. Absolutely. So what about home console releases then? We talked a lot about the arcade games. We talked a little bit about the Point Blanks. Uh I'm guessing we've all played Duck Hunt. Are there any light gun games that came out on consoles that you all liked? The Wii one. The Wii Resident Evil games. Umbrella Chronicles and Dark Side Chronicles. Okay, Umbrella and Dark Side, okay. Yeah, you had to get a decent, a really decent grade to go further in the story and unlock different different stories. So it was a way of getting you to replay the level, find that you had um, like umbrella symbols, which give you more story bits from the main game, like mm-hmm. files, but you had to essentially destroy everything. You also had to get headshots, not get hurt, complete it really fast, and get a high kill count. So what you do is keep playing the same levels over and over again. You know where the enemies are coming from, so you get more accurate in your shooting. Oh, that was that was the the theory anyway. And then if you if you got all them and got like mostly headshots, you could unlock like infinite ammo for weapons. And but that was in the first one, which is in Umbrella Chronicles. The Dark Side Chronicles, you could play levels where you unlock different weapons, go back to earlier levels to do them quicker and more accurate. But that one was annoying. The cover on that because you had the there was two bosses in the uh, Dark Side Chronicles I really hated, and it was. Um, the Coveronica one with the flying moth because you had a linear launcher and you had to get get it head on but it would only attack in a certain pattern but it was really skittish and the second one was the the ending battle with Mr. X and Resident Evil 2 because you had one section where you can shoot the rocket and you had to get it dead on and I could never do it it was a right pain but it expanded the story slightly in the the Dark Side Chronicles you started off sort of a bit of a backstory between Leon and Krauser Resident Evil 4 you were going into a, a jungle area to find someone who's producing zombies or mm-hmm. biological weapons and you get so far into it and you'd see like an enemy or something it reminds you of oh this reminds me of what happened in Raccoon City or this remind this reminds me of the the file that I read about Rockfort Island and the file that I read about this and that and the other and you play that whole 
go through. But the difference was when you played a game like Code Veronica or Resident Evil 2, well, you chose a character, but they were both together. So if you're playing two-player, you could do that. So you'd have, like, in Resident Evil 2, you'd encounter Ada and you'd encounter Sherry and you'd go through multiple story arcs. So you'd encounter them as survivors and you'd have to fight Bacon and Mr. X one after another. And it was always split up into eight chapters and you could get, like, uh, secret chapters. So in one of them, you could play as Hunk in the Resident Evil 2. Because uh, in the first game, you played through the Resident Evil 3 storyline. Umbrella Chronicles. In the Dark Side Chronicles, you played Resident Evil 2 storyline. So you went through, in the in the Umbrella Chronicles, you went through like the RPD building with uh, Jill and Carlos. And uh, you'd have like Nemesis chasing you, and at certain points you could unlock trying to get to the roof with the G-Virus sample as Hunk. And that's how you got like the um, the Holy <laughs> Magnum. The elephant killer in Resi 5, I can't remember what it's called. Hand cannon, that's it. That's how you unlock that. But there was, there was all sorts of stuff to do when it was multiplayer. And it was, it was just a lot of fun, but sometimes getting those headshots because you were free aiming with a Wiimote, you, you start shaking. But I'd also like to say one of the other games that I did like, because the, the Wii was built for real shooters, let's face it. You had House of the Dead 2 and 3 come out for it. I like Link's crossbow training. I was just about to bring that up. Right? Because we talked you, about a lot of very you, you, violent, you, super... Except for Point Blank and Luigi's Mansion. They're all over the top of violent. Link's crossbow training was a, a nice subtle mix between you'd have like things pop up and you're shooting stuff and you'd have, you'd have like a, a peripheral for it, which would make it easier because at one part of the game you'd free move a Link, which was your Wiimote, and then you'd actually you'd aim and shoot, which the easiest way to do that was one of the peripherals was it turned the, where the Wiimote goes into it like a pistol and the grip that went up your arm is where the, um, the nunchuck went. So it was a whole thing, and you moved your your whole arm. It was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a lot of fun. I didn't get too far into it, because I kept playing the same level over again. We were free moving. But it was meant to be kind of a a training bit for when you played the Zelda games on the Wii, which was uh, Skyward Sword, a re-release of Twilight Princess, and the other one. I can't remember now. But when you did like the, the, um, the archery part on that, it was a very similar control. So it's meant to be, obviously, training for that. And it did help, but I just played the training. I didn't play this whole game. <laughs> yeah, I would say, um, other than the ones I've already mentioned that were on console, I think, um, I don't know if I'd say overlooked, maybe, but I think a, 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 one unsung one would be the Dead Space like game. I was just, I thought Space you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah, so Dead Space Extraction originally came out on the Wii, and then it was re-released for the PlayStation 3 uh, on the PlayStation Network um, as a part of the Deluxe edition or something? No, it was, it, what, what happened was that was, it came out on the Wii originally and then it was PS3 and Xbox 360. Yeah. And what it was was if you played that, bonuses you got in that, you could unlock in Dead Space 2. Yeah. So you could go into certain rooms. And it also explain the main character's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Why she isn't in it. Not one of the main characters. It's someone who was supposed to be in the main game yeah. who, who left and it gave you her backstory. Yeah. So yeah, it's bit, I mean, basically set in the Dead Space universe, which I thought was always a pretty strong universe up until three. <laughs> <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Shots fired. But um, yeah, no, Extraction was just, it was a really, it was just a solidly done icon game, you know, it wasn't necessarily the most unique. I think the whole conceit of, because the Necromorphs, to kill them, you have to take off their limbs. You don't shoot at their head. So that gave, like, in itself a bit of, even though it was on rails, it gave it a lot more of, of, of freedom because instead of the usual thing that you do is always aim for heads, 
you'd have to tactically decide how you wanted to like cut up the necromorphs to make sure that it wasn't coming for you and that you was uh, de- destroying the limbs in the correct way. And then it had a really strong story and 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 was like yeah, like I said, it was was really solidly done. You had you had electrical engineering puzzles it, to do mid combat as well, didn't you? That was possibly the only weak point, but even that wasn't too bad considering. Um, wasn't wasn't it? You got so far into the puzzle and you had to drop out the puzzle to shoot stuff, so you had time to do stuff. A little puzzle. bit, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I thought the playing co- two player was easier, but I thought the co-op was was very good. Yeah, it was. It had really good co-op in that it didn't feel like it was just oh here's another player. Like you would be helping each other to mm. get through it. And I know I mainly played it um, on on your Wii, didn't I? So it mm. was like this sort of it was a really like solid co-op experience and a really uh, good example it was short of a very good yeah yeah it was like like four or five levels wasn't it it wasn't that many it wasn't particularly long no sorry ten but they were really really it was very quick fire it was just a very well built and well put together game in general really Um, excuse me I really enjoyed Dead Space Extraction I thought it was a nice good um, entry in the series especially as a spin-off and uh, yeah far better than Three, but in in that what the the DLC in two was based on, you know, where you you played as a guy who tried to get his girlfriend off planet, and, and you you tried to open the locks so she could get out, and you were dangling upside down shooting stuff. Do you remember that? Vaguely, I'm pretty sure it was for two. It was the story of how he got his pregnant girlfriend off there. I think that might have been spoiler yeah, alert. He dies at the end, but still. Well, yeah. no, because what I was going to say was, um, I think you're also thinking of the puzzle spin-off that came out just before two. Ignition. Ignition, I think Ignition's right, yeah. And then, um, because that guy is the guy who wakes Isaac up at the start of two and immediately gets, um, necromorphed in the, in the face. Right. Nothing, be, nothing before, worse, first be, thing in the morning. Yeah, before he can even release your arms. So that's why, uh, oh, yeah, very opening you, level you, of, uh, of, you're running for your life, yeah, right? Yeah. Running for your life. Yeah. And your arms are tied behind your back and you've got to escape from some necromorphs. So yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if that's mixing up a little bit of both of those, but you definitely play who you play as in thingy is definitely the puzzle in the puzzle one. Mm. He's definitely the guy who gets his face ripped open at the start of number two. Because mm. <laughs> I think the whole point of it is that you're trying to get make your way to Isaac to uh, release. He's, him. Only, he's the only one proven to awaken and mm. stop the markers. Exactly. Dead space. That's what makes everything go essentially mm. up. <laughs> and they were synthetically made, and then one was found, and then more was synthetically made, and then. There was a church built around um, necromorphs, and then Isaac could destroy him, but then didn't want to, want to be left alone, and then, uh, and then the third one happened, as you said, and then we all just went, ah, you're all right. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, for this next bit, I guess we're going to have to talk a little bit. I'll just lightly touch on how light gun games used to work and why they don't work on modern TVs, because I'd like to know. Should they invent a system that allowed you to play light gun games at home again? Would you be interested in playing? And are there any particular series you'd like to bring back? But before I can do that, I need to kind of explain why they don't work. So the light gun games of yore, I guess, worked really well with CRTs because they were the guns and the software that they used were actually physically engineered to work with how CRT TVs worked. So the original games, we're talking Duck Hunt. When you pulled the trigger, you'll notice that the screen flashes. They explained that away in the manuals and stuff as if the muzzle flare, essentially. But the way that that worked is the screen would flash white just quickly enough that you would only partially perceive it. But what was actually happening was the screen would flash white and there'd be a black dot in the very center of the screen. And there's a photosensitive diode in the barrel of the gun which detected where the dot was. And that would be fed into the game. The game would then make guesses based on how wide the screen was perceived to be and how far off from the center of the screen it was. And then compare that to where the character was on screen, which is incredibly, you know, quite 
technical. Other things included, like when you pulled the trigger, a different array of pixels would be shown on screen, depending on where they, those were and which, how far from each of those pixels the gun was pointing at. We use triangulation to figure that out and then do the exact opposite, figuring where the enemies were. And then there were things like, so CRT screens work by, essentially the reason they're so deep is there is a laser at the back and this laser traces a line across the screen and each of the vertical, I always get this wrong, horizontal, each of the horizontal lines from top left to bottom right, so individual lines across, the beam would literally race across the screen and then come back and start again from left to right and do it in rows. Right. And the way that you got color was there were three different lasers and different, they were fired at different voltages, which then made the phosphorus on the back of the screen light up and boring, 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 boring. I know. But none of those work on LCD screens because none of the LCD screens are designed to work like that. There were some add-ons in the early days of the PS3 and the Xbox and all the way up to the Xbox One, which allowed you to put a frame around the screen. And when you pull the trigger, they would send a beam, which would intercept an IR beam that was around the screen um i got one of them. yeah they they worked but didn't work and you know only two or three games supported them but let's say the other the other one of course is the nintendo Wii. you touched on it really quick there squidge you talked about how you would put the wiimotes into a frame and you would use that the wiimotes the wiimote games used the fact that the wiimotes themselves had tracking on them so as you wave them about in space mm. it would track where the controller was pointing based on where the ir receiver was on the screen but if they invented something like an add-on, like they have the PlayStation, what do you call them, with the big blue baubles on the end, the PlayStation Move controllers, right, or the Oculus Rift, if they invented a technology that would work on all the consoles that wasn't prohibitively expensive, which is the problem with the PlayStation Move, with the Oculus Rift, with whatever we've got for Xbox, I'm sure there's something probably similar. So, In the works, they haven't got anything. Yeah, I think so, it's Oculus going to be. Yeah. But yeah. So if they had something that was portable across the different consoles, you could just plug it in and then the... Um, with the same idea with the uh, rock band controllers yes each one is different for each console but something like that but for light gun games if they did that and they released games for either a series that exists or they went hey wouldn't it be great if there was a stupid idea game of thrones um light gun game you know it's stupid yeah but what would you like to see as a new light gun game series i guess if there was the technology to do it properly and nicely on lcd plasma and projection screens hungry horror go skiing Oh, <laughs> Not this again. He likes the Yeti. <laughs> um, Yeti. There is an actual device you can get for uh, PCs and laptops where it's mm. essentially a sensor bar. Um, I've looked into this and you can plug in via an adapter like light guns from back in the day. And you can also use your fingers and aim and you'll get a cursor on screen. So you, you bring, you bring uh, your finger back and shoot. That is amazing. You can get that. I can't, for life of me, I can't remember what it's called. But it's, you can set it up with a PC and you sit so far back so it can detect you. And then you have your hand and you just flick it back. You've got to make like the, the classic L shape and it detects it. And you get a case from screen, you've got to do that shoot. Do you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of that wonderfully classic scene from Spaced where they're doing the gunfight in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but men have got that too. Mike. No, no, no. Men have got an unspoken telepathy, a biological connection between male psyches. Whether they know each other or not, put a group of them together, always the same. What do you mean? Should we show him, Tim? Mike, I really am not in the... You ready? Yeah. Modern games, I don't know. Would it be, like, free-moving, or would it be, like, on-rails? What are we talking here? 
whatever you wanted. They, they've invented a technology that allows you to do a light gun type game on a modern TV and you can just take it wherever you want, where there's a TV, plug it in and just play it. Or on a console. I think man kind of already exists as a thing. Um, and it's on modern stuff as well. Because I think my, my pick, so to speak, would, would be something like a Beat Saber or uh, a Res. Um, because mm. like, I love those sort of music experience games. Yeah. And I mean, Tetris Effect, uh, on the, recently released on the PC and PS4, that's got VR compatibility. And so just like being in the music, you've got the music going and you have this sensory stuff and then you can use the light guns or whatever mm. to like shoot these bits and then to the music. And then, you know, you've, you've already got this sort of, and I think that's what Harmonix's next thing is, is kind of similar because it's an, it's an Oculus game that essentially, yeah, it's kind of similar to Beat Saber, but you, I think you're shooting, um, notes and stuff with a gun. And I think mm. that'd be really cool to experience as a light gun game, if you know what I mean? Mm. Especially like, uh, if you've got the stuff coming around you and that. And as, and also as a, like, say, an alternative to like, not just a standard shoot everything. And it's something a bit different with that conceit of the light gun game of how, how you're set up for that. So I think, yeah, I think I, I, my, mine would be something akin to those lines of, of some sort of music game. That would yeah, they'll see you almost playing the music or shooting the music um, with with your light guns, whatever that would be. Mine wouldn't exactly be a game. It'd be like a series of imagined experiences. Now bear with me. What I'm talking about is scenes recreated from famous movies where you've got one person, Commando being a prime example, going absolutely nuts with a series of weapons shooting a lot of people to get to a specific destination. So the ending part to Commando, the first-person shooter section from the Moon, uh, Doom movie, just movies where it's like squad-based, where it'd be, you know where you think it'd be really cool if I was there and I was doing that myself. Just a series of really short levels, similar to, um, you know, like the scenes you had in U-Star, U-Star yeah. 2. If you had that, but in, like, real shooter form, so imagined scenarios from movies, so like Rambo, Commando, Predator... Doom, pure action sequences, all like the the ending part to Tango and Cash, where there's just any movie where one or two people are going and assaulting something. You pick your character; it's all redone. You don't have to be fantastic; cause you can be really rapid and fast, fast paced. But you could pick your movies, and then they could be on a scale of difficulty. So Commando would be right near the end because there's a lot of them. But you could have like many things, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you could even it won't have to be like um, guns. You could do similar to like Lord of the Rings. Where they're all in a massive thing and um, they're all um, surrounded and stuff, but instead of using weapons, you play Gandalf and you're shooting fireballs, you know that kind of thing. So it wouldn't be a game; it'd be a set of experiences reimagined from movies. So you think it's more like a collection of mini games or vignettes, essentially? You play this for like two or three minutes, play the scene from not the scene from the movie, but a scene inspired by yeah. that movie. I so guess, a, for a, legal reasons, you wouldn't be able to go, this is a game with a commando and yeah. Cobra and so, so, the sea letters here. <laughs> so like like a, a, mo a movie version of Point Blank. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. There's the uh, alien, the scene from Aliens where they're trying to you know, uh, keep all the aliens out of the Out of the, oh, the, um, mm. the, the command, yeah, where the uh, they're in the room. The last stand bit, yeah. Yeah, the last stand bit. And you have to, as, as, you're, as you're escaping through the tunnels, you've got to shoot them. That'd be good. I think we're at a point now with the technology behind, like the hardware, the software, the engines, all that kind of stuff, where I think I kind of agree with B here in that we need some kind of innovation rather than just be shooty bang bang. It would be cool if there was like a Beat Saber type game. So something that, I mean, I think it's not original, but 
I think we started this very slow move with things like audio stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, you're playing Wipeout, but uh, on the, the song, essentially the waveform for the song, mm. you know. It wasn't the waveform for the song, but, you know, a waveform that represented the speed and pitch and that of the song. So, yeah, I think something like that would be cool. Maybe shooting the notes, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but what I think I'd like to see, it's a bit more of a shooty bang bang, but like a recreation, a re-release of Alien 3, the gun, I know I mentioned it earlier on, just like the, that example of something that's just a big, over-the-top, stupid, ridiculous. Or maybe, like you were saying, maybe a series of vignettes that you could you could take your idea and extend it to a bunch of different games. So you've got the 80s action movies vignette title that is influenced by the 80s action movies and the scenes from that. The Last Stands one from like Western movies and stuff like that. But the problem there is you're, you're sticking with this sort of slightly violent, killy, shooty bang bang. But the peripheral is a shooty bang bang peripheral. So you know what are you going to do? I'd love the, the you know this this idea of maybe. Uh, using it for you know like with the military and the the police force they have those mm. targets you got to shoot something like that you know that's still shooty bang bang but it's more a case of hand-eye coordination rather than shooty bang bang kill the person you know or, more of a gun range type yeah thing. and maybe like some stupid little mini games like a point blank and you know stuff like that i think that's where i'd like to see some more fun stuff rather than here's the death game 2000 or whatever ground bray shooter ground bray Brown gray, brown gray shooter. I always, ground gray. Yeah, this episode of the Waffling Taylor's podcast is brought to you by Ground Day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, something that except is just <laughs> ground yes. bay coffee for that earthy flavor. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but something like that—that's not just a shooter, you know. But I don't know. We'll have to see what happens if they end up coming up with a peripheral for that because like that's the problem with all of these mini consoles and the retro games is you cannot play these games on modern hardware you've got to go out and buy yourself a crt and to get those you've got to go to the secondhand websites like gumtree or craigslist or and have the room for them yeah exactly because they are deep tvs and they don't really like g was saying about the the older consoles don't really fit with the aesthetic of a, a modern video gaming setup anymore crts don't fit with that anymore so you've got to be really kind of careful with that i think vr headsets that is where the light gun game genre kind of lays now i think for sure because like you say that's that's more of an easier sell than convincing people to bring crts back Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you don't want that Radiation King sitting in the corner. Exactly. (laughs) Not again, no. (laughs) Exactly. I guess that's it for this episode of The Waffling Tellers. Thank you all for listening. Definitely uh, check out the website. I've been doing this more recently, putting extra content into the show notes on the website. I am interested to find out if people are clicking through and checking them out, because if they're not, then I just won't do it. Definitely check out the show notes, though, because there's there's going to be links to some of the stuff that we've talked about maybe a link to a description of patchy slot maybe i can get some videos of people playing it i'll definitely put some links to some of the bees new work on the website he's now working on and the ps playstation no, playstationtrophies.org and xboxachievements.com plug That's the one thank you very much yes plug that stuff homie bridge you got anything you want to say before we sign off not even shooty bang bang point the gun and hello squidge no no okay what it's been said i don't want to repeat myself what about yourself, B? Have you got anything to... Uh... I'll just say you can always find me uh, usually complaining about something of late, to be honest, but uh, as is the way of the world, uh, on the awful new Twitter redesign, but um, www, if that hasn't put you off, www.twitter.com forward slash the underscore B. That's T-H-E underscore B. And you can always find my musings and ramblings on there.
I'll make a point of linking that in the show notes as I always do, but there you go. Yeah, I guess uh, thank you ever so much for being on the show, B. It's Thanks always... for having me. It's been wonderful as always and a pleasure, gentlemen. There you go. Good. Now see. get out. Oh. It's always a pleasure talking to B because he brings these new thoughts and ideas that I definitely don't have um, about video games because that's what's great about the show is we, we're talking with our friends, talking with people we know about the different opinions and thoughts of video games and where we think the industry can go and where the industry has been. It's always loads of fun. So, And of course, for... tangents go off. Oh, of course. So thanks. Sometimes even professional boys are wasms. Get out. <laughs> and I've ruined it again. Yep. Should have kept your mouth shut. Seriously, though, B, thanks for... I mean, we've taken up almost all of your afternoon now. It's like six o'clock. Not a problem. We started <laughs> like four hours ago. But that's not a problem. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I always really appreciate it, and it's been loads of fun. You sure you got nothing to say, Squidge? Not even total? No? Fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, you've gone and wasted all of your life listening to the Waffle Sailors again. Um, we so, apologise. Yes. Like I said, definitely check out the show notes. Click through on your podcatcher, or if you're reading on the website, you're already on the show notes. So, well done. Let us know what you think of the show. I'm really interested to find out what people who are listening to the show are thinking, because we have enough listeners that we can get some real feedback. Leave it, us reviews, damn it. That's we it. Love yeah. those yeah, reviews. <laughs> so, that's the most important thing, is ratings and reviews. So, the podcasts live and die on reviews if we don't have reviews then the podcatching services apple Podcasts, formerly itunes uh, google play all that kind of stuff can't recommend the shows to new people without those nobody gets to hear us if people hear about us we can do more episodes and that will be all fun and you can hear more of our ramblings and silliness um, and ramblings and silliness is always fun so if you feel inclined give us a rating a review or something tell your friends get them to listen to the show because it, i think it's loads of fun Give them the link on Spotify. Just throw it out there, you know. Yeah, exactly. You don't even need a player for Spotify. You just exactly. Need Spotify. Distribute know? it like a friendly virus of friendship. Exactly. The W virus. The WT virus. Waffling Taylor's virus. It's an STD. Sound transmitted disease. Get out. Fine, but I'm taking my STDs with me. Good. We don't want them. And that's where we'll leave the show. So thanks very much for listening, <laughs> folks. And we'll see you all again next time. Intro music is Behind the Lines by Ian Sutherland. Outro music is I Need You, Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectral Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleansing music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Gay. See the show notes for more details. Just that. Not the actual sound, just me <laughs> just, doing it. Just, just you. Just in a corner doing that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bopping. <laughs> boop, boop. Ah. <laughs>